Good morning, everyone. I know we just had prayer, but I feel the need to have another prayer before we look at the God's Word. So, if you would, pray with me, please. Our gracious Lord, it's, again, uh, time for us to settle before your feet and hear your words. And it's my prayer that as we listen to your words, they would, through the working of your spirit in our hearts and our minds, they would sink deeply into who we are and you would do your work in us, whatever it is you want to accomplish. I pray that you will take these small loaves and fishes that I've prepared and multiply them to each one according to everyone's need and situation for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. My son, Ben, who's here this morning, plays baseball for the Charlotte Stampede Baseball Organization, which is a homeschool baseball program. And when we first moved here about three, I don't know how long ago it was, three, four years ago. We were not sure what the Charlotte Stampede was going to be all about, but we've been pleasantly surprised uh, to discover that the coach, in particular, is in many different ways outstanding. And one of the ways in particular is that the coach has some very high standards for the baseball team. And those standards of excellence translate into what you might call behavioral expectations, or what some old school people might call rules. (laughs) And they're pretty strict, you might think. For example, any player, starting or non-starting, who shows up just five minutes late to warm-ups before a game they will not start in that game. They will be on the bench. Another rule or behavioral expectation, if the, uh, the temperature is below 75 degrees, I believe I've got that right. Okay, so he gives me the nod. <laughs> you will be wearing sleeves to protect your arms. If not, you're not going to be playing. Another rule high standard. If you, um, if the coach catches you or you utter a, a curse word, say you struck out or something and something slips out, if he hears that, you're out of the game automatically, no matter what. If your reaction to a strikeout or a, you messed up in some way and you take your helmet off and you throw it in the dugout or you're, you kind of go over the line in terms of re, your reaction, immediately you're out of the game. These are, these are pretty high standards and they're good ones. Um, and basically, not, not every team holds to those things. I forgot to mention, they also have a grooming code. You cannot have any facial hair on a game day. So um, these are basically what it means if you're going to be a member of the Charlotte Stampede, this is what you do. These are the, this is the way you 
You are a baseball player on the Charlotte Stampede. These are the expectations for you. Now, as we turn our attention to the Bible, uh, particularly we'll be looking in the book of Ephesians this morning, chapter 4. In chapter 4, Paul, the writer of the book of Ephesians, I think is doing something fairly similar for us as Christians, laying out for us expectations of what it means to live our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Particularly, he's going to use the words of walking with a calling, basically living out what it means to, to, to be a person who says that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. With uh, individually and corporately as well. So, if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, I'm going to read chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 through verse uh, 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. That's a pretty power-packed six verses right there. Again, the command, the beginning of the passage, verse 1, Paul says, and this is really the main sort of crux of, of what we're getting at this morning, Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, if we are going to obey what God says to us here through his word, to, if we're going to, to walk in a manner worthy, as he says, we first have to know what it is, what this calling is that we're supposed to walk in. What is it that Paul is talking about here? What is this calling that we are supposed to walk in? Well, I think to get at that question we can at least begin by asking or by, by uh, looking at what the calling is not. Okay, first of all, the calling is not something that is tremendously popular. It's not something that you're going to see on Hollywood television or movies. It's not something you're going to see in the magazines at the, uh, the grocery stores. You're going through the aisle. It is not going to be, and it is not, a popular road. It's not a glitzy road. It's not something that people, that attract, that's attractive by appearance. And it's certainly not something that is a convenient way. In fact, it's often a way that's very sacrificial. Did you notice the words that Paul starts that verse with, verse 1? I don't think it's any accident that Paul says, I therefore, by the way, I'm a, I'm a prisoner 
for the Lord. <laughs> Before Paul encourages and urges the, the, the Christians in Ephesus to walk in the manner worthy of the calling that they've received, he reminds them, look, by the way, I'm a prisoner. In other words, Paul, in a kind of indirect way, maybe, is saying, I'm walking the walk. And the walk is not a convenient walk. The walk is not the road of popularity. In fact, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done already. In fact, Paul says, walking the walk for me has meant that I've been thrown in prison for my witness for Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, in effect, Ephesian Christians, maybe to you and me too, what about you? Is walking in the calling that you've received important enough to you that you would be willing to even be incarcerated for that walk? Paul says, it is to me. I've been there. That's a challenge. It's not, a, it's not an easy walk. It's also not a, it's not a road of... Paul, excuse me, the, the calling that Paul is talking about is not a calling to, to improve ourselves, 10 steps to self-improvement or those kinds of things that you can even often see in Christian bookstores and other places. And nothing wrong with, you know, maybe improving yourself, but that's not what Paul's really talking about here. That's not the calling to a better life in terms of being a better you or that kind of thing. And it's certainly, this calling is not a calling to try to earn God's favor in some way. Now, probably all of us in here would say, well, I've never tried to do that. I know that I couldn't do that. But often we as Christians do kind of get into a way or a mode of thinking or even living that says, well, you know, being a Christian or uh, walking in the calling that I've received you know, you know, that means pretty much I show up at church, I give my money, I'm doing it. That's what it means to be a Christian, or that's what it means to live as... And what am I doing? If God, if I do those things, and God's going to be happy with me, I'll, you know, I'll get in. That's, that's enough. That's what it's all about. That is not what, God, that, what Paul or the Lord is talking about here. The calling that he's talking about is something that's um, deeper, much deeper. It goes to the core of who we are. It goes to the core of who the Lord Jesus Christ um, is. In fact, the calling that Paul talks about really is all about not what we do or who we are. It's all about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's all about what we have received from God in Jesus Christ. And I wish I had about 20,000 hours to go on and on and tell you what we have received in Jesus Christ because it would take that much time and more. We will be praising him for all eternity. But just a few glimpses of what Paul is talking about. If, if you want to go back into chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, just looking at verses 3 and 4. 
Again, look at how this focuses on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And this is what the calling that he's talking about is all about. Verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Who has done that? It's God who's done that. Even as he chose us in him, he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. This calling is all about what we have been called into. We have been called into the life of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We have been, we have been enfolded by God into his eternal plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. He has, he has folded us into his plan of salvation in Christ. And as I said, I would need a long, long time and forever, and I couldn't finish, <laughs> uh, to, to go on about all that this is and what it means for us. But again, quickly, just from the book of Ephesians, you know, what is it that we receive in Jesus Christ? Book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 7, says that we receive redemption in Christ. Redemption is, is actually a word that comes out of the old slave markets in the ancient world. And it refers to the fact that someone comes and purchases that, that slave or that person out of the market. It's market language. We have been redeemed out of that by someone who has purchased us. And that is God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We've also received the same verse, forgiveness of our sins. Our, our, our guilt and our sins are atoned for and washed away. Not by anything that we can do or ever have done. But by his sacrifice, his blood on the cross, which is perfect for us. In chapter 2, verse 5 Again, what is it that we have been called into or what are the benefits? We, we're given life itself. And it's not our own life. It's the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his life. It says there that he made us alive together with Christ. For we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but he made us alive together with him. And in chapter 2, Verse 10, it talks about the fact that we are, are new creations of God. Again, it's his work in us. Just kind of lingering on that to make, to make sure that we're all understanding that this calling isn't about who we are or what we've done. It's about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. It's about God enfolding us into his plan and calling us into the life of Jesus Christ. Because really, and this is where it gets down to answering the question, what is the calling that we're called to walk in? We are called to walk in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to be demonstrations of the life of Jesus Christ. We are called, and that's what it means by walking, we are called to to, to live our lives on a daily basis, 
as demonstrations of the life of Jesus Christ in us, individually and also as a body, as, as a church. That's what it's all about. You know, a, if you take a light bulb, a light bulb is pretty much useless if you just have it in your hand or you even just uh, screw it into the socket. A light bulb is really pretty useless until the electricity comes on and the current flows into that. We're called, in a sense, to be like light bulbs. And until the, the power and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ flows in us, we're not going to be glowing with his life. Paul says, walk in the calling that you've received. Walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Jesus once said, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's what it's all about. That's the calling that we've received. As new creations of God, we are called into new life in Christ. We are called by God to be living demonstrations of his life in us. So that's what the calling is all about. Now, how do we go about fulfilling that calling? How do we actually do that? Fortunately, Paul tells us some things, some very specific things in the verses that follow. He lays out essentially five standards or five expectations for what it means to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling. He fleshes it out for us, and I'm so glad he does. Otherwise, it leaves it a little bit kind of, ooh, that's nice, but I'm not sure exactly, you know, how to do that. Well, as we go on in verse, um, verse 2, Paul mentions the first quality or the expectation the behavioral expectation, the standard that God has for us. He says, do this, walk with all humility. Humility is the first standard that he lays out. This is an interesting word in the original language. It's actually a combination word. Greek scholars believe that um, Paul, the writer, probably took two words here and actually coined a new word here because it doesn't seem to be found anywhere else in the ancient Greek language, except here in, in the scriptures. And that's because humility in the ancient Greco-Roman world or culture that Paul lived in, the concept of humility or humbleness was always a negative thing. It was never a positive thing. It, it was associated with, with lowering yourself. It was associated with um, abasing yourself in a negative way. Nobody wanted to do that. It wasn't, it wasn't cool. It wasn't positive in any way. And Paul puts a positive note on it. This is what it means. This is the first step in what it means to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Uh, a church leader from a long time ago by the name of Bernard of Clairvaux said this, humility is the virtue by which a man becomes conscious of his own unworthiness. That's what humility is all about. So let me ask you, what's the opposite of humility? Anybody? Pride. Pride is, thank you, <laughs> the opposite of humility. 
John MacArthur has some helpful words for us when it comes to pride and humility. Pride is the sin, he says, of competing with God. And humility is the virtue of submitting to his supreme glory. Pretty weighty words there. But MacArthur goes on to say that humility is an ingredient of all spiritual blessing. Just as every sin has its roots in pride, every virtue has its roots in humility. Humility allows us to see ourselves as we are because it shows us before God as he is. Just as pride is behind every conflict we have with other people and every problem of fellowship we have with the Lord, so Humility is behind every harmonious human relationship, every spiritual success, and every moment of joyous fellowship with the Lord. Paul doesn't stop there, though. He says there's some more qualities, expectations that it, you need to have as we're walking in, the, for, in a manner worthy of the calling. And the second one he mentions right after humility, and that is gentleness. Gentleness. Gentleness is sometimes called meekness or being meek. It's the quality of being mild of spirit. Now, that seems a little fuzzy. So it's really the opposite of being vengeful, wanting to get back at others. It's really the opposite of being vindictive. That's gentleness or meekness. It is really a refusal to fight back. It's a refusal to put yourself first in the situation. It's a refusal, though you might be able to do it, to, it's a refusal to butt in front of other people, to put yourself forward. This is what meekness or gentleness is all about. It's interesting that this word was also used in the ancient world for the taming of horses. I find that very interesting because think about it. When you, when you tame a horse, do you take the strength of the horse away, its physical strength? No. I don't know a lot about horses. In fact, I'm highly allergic to them. So, <laughs> But you don't take the strength away of a horse. Do you actually... Um, take the, the power away or the, the majesty of the horse away when you tame that horse? No. Taming a horse means that all that power, all that strength is submitted to the will of the master. I think it's a powerful image for what meekness or, or gentleness is all about in our lives. It doesn't mean, as some people say, meek means weak. It means that we are submitted in our wills and our spirit to the master who controls us. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. We have our ways of thinking what's awesome and big and great, and God turns those upside down. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, to be meek means you have finished with yourself altogether. Humility 
and gentleness. You cannot have gentleness without humility. But there's more, Paul says in verse three, uh, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience. Patience is the third quality. Patience is a difficult quality to have. Uh, patience is really enduring difficult circumstances and not giving in to them. Enduring them and not giving in to them. Patience endures when people question your motives for serving the Lord. Patience endures when your name becomes the subject of gossip. Patience endures when those whom you love refuse to listen to you when you try to talk to them about the Lord. Patience endures difficult circumstances without giving in to them. When uh, we lived in New England a number of years ago, we had a a friend in the church, uh, a couple. And uh, this couple, they had a son, and and the son graduated from uh, high school. And when he graduated from high school, he Essentially, he had grown up in the church and been very involved in things there, but essentially he turned his his life and his direction away from following the Lord and really got involved in a lot of unsavory things. And this was really devastating to to our friends, and particularly uh, the husband, who the story sort of centers around, the father, whose name was Paul. Rhonda probably remembers who I'm talking about. Um, and years went by, and, and we you know, knew that their son was living as basically a prodigal type of lifestyle. But Paul always did something that, that reminds me to this day of patience. Every time we in the church celebrated Holy Communion, and we did it once a month in that church, every time that the, uh, the bread would be passed around and the cup of, would be passed around. Paul would, would take a piece of bread for himself and a cup of juice for himself, and then he would reach and take an extra piece of bread and an extra cup for his son. And he said, you know, I do that as an act of faith, believing that one day my son Craig will return to the Lord. That's patience, enduring in difficult circumstances. And praise the Lord, Craig did return to him. Um, that's, that's awesome God that we have. That's what patience to me is all about. Paul isn't finished yet here, though. He has some more qualities, going back to verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another. Now, If you thought humility was difficult, gentleness was pretty tough. Patience, man, that's tough. We get to this one, we're talking about really hard. (laughs) This is a difficult thing to do. This is bearing with, not just bearing with one another. That's hard enough sometimes. This is bearing with one another in love. And believe me, if you've ever tried to do this, you're going to know that it's a difficult thing to do. Bearing with one another in love is the conscious choice to treat the sins of others with love and grace. 
This is not an easy thing to do. Let me say that again. It's our choice when somebody sins against us or does something that's harmful and hurtful. It's our choice to treat that sin with love and grace and not with what it really or what we feel it really deserves. Proverbs chapter 10 Verse 12 says, love covers all transgressions. And it's sort of that spirit that we're talking about here. John MacArthur, again, is helpful here. He says that this quality, it's not about justifying what the other person does. It's not about um, uh, excusing what that other person does. And it's not about pretending that it's okay And it's not about pretending either that it didn't happen. It's not any of those things. John MacArthur says that bearing with one another in love is rather covering those sins in the sense of keeping the sins from becoming any more known than necessary. This is a tricky thing to do and not always, and and often very difficult. And sometimes we need spiritual counsel from others and leaders in the church on how to do this. But one thing, just one example I think that helps us here is that um, by bearing with one another in love is, is what happens when somebody does something or, or says something that hurts me, that may have been intentional, may not have been intentional. What is my proper response for that? Well, according to Matthew 18... What we are to do is to approach that person. We're supposed, hey, can we get a cup of coffee and just chat for a while? So we go out and we talk. And I sit with that person and I say, you know, I don't really know why you said that or why you did that, but you need to know that it, it hurt me. It hurt me a lot because of this reason or that reason. And you work it out. And in that way... And often it will just stay within that circle. And it doesn't need to go any farther than that. It doesn't always work out that nicely. But that's what we're called to do. Um, The worst thing that we can do in a situation like that, the disobedient thing, is to get on Facebook or to get on the phone and say, I can't believe what that person did to me. Da, 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 da. How, isn't that more of our, mm, we want to give them what they deserve, and we'll kind of go around the back way to do it. That's not bearing with one another in love. That's actually not walking in the calling that we're called to walk in at all. Final quality, verse 3 and on down. Paul says that we are to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is a big thing to do. Maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of this, the unity the Bible is talking about here may not be the unity that we think about when we think of unity. We often try to grasp unity by um, saying things like, well, you know, um, just joking, but we'll, you know, all clasp arms and we'll be all in unity together. Or we think we have unity because maybe we we share a lot of the same lifestyles and the same values, American values or whatever. Um, or we maybe we, we 
have unity in the sense that we believe the same thing about political or moral issues, we're upset about what the Supreme Court decides, or whatever. Those things may give us common ground, but they are not, I should say, they are really shifting sand when it comes to the unity that Paul is talking about here. They're not the basis of unity. Simply put, what is the unity? It's Jesus Christ. The unity that Paul is talking about here is comes straight down to the fact that the common denominator for every believer is that we share in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our unity together. Nothing else. He is it. And therefore, the unity that we have, Paul says, is to be a reflection of his character. That's what verses... Uh, four, five, and six are all about, and I'd love to spend another 20,000 hours on those verses. But essentially, what Paul is saying is that the Lord is one with the diversity of three persons. God is one nature with three persons. In those verses, it lays out God the Father. If you look closely at those, verses four, five, and six, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not in that order, I may... I, got it wrong there, but those three persons. We are, as a church, as, as those called to live in the calling that we have in Christ, we are to reflect God's character, and it's very important to him that we do that. It doesn't mean that we're all the same. It means that we're all drawing our life from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and especially Maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace means that we are reflecting the life of God or allowing the life of the Lord Jesus Christ to be demonstrated in our relationships with each other. It works out that way, and that's the unity that Paul is talking about. A.W. Tozer says this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. That's what maintaining the unity of the Spirit is all about. We tune ourselves not to each other, We're going to be on shifting sand that way, but by tuning our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and allowing his life to flow out. So Paul says, I urge you, Christians, walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. And he helps us see how we go about doing that in all humility, with gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Bottom line, and we'll wrap it up with this, to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received requires us to allow the life of Jesus Christ to be demonstrated in every part of our lives. And that's really what it boils down to in a very simple thing. Let us as individuals, let us as a church, be billboards for, the, for God's glory, for his life in Jesus Christ in us. Let us uh, 
pause for a moment of prayer as we conclude this message and um, ask that God will do this in our lives. Let's pray. Father, in a moment of quiet reflection, I know that your spirit works through your word. It's not because of me. It's because of who you are and and that your word will not your word will accomplish what it is sent out to do. If there have been places where we've been convicted, maybe we are not walking in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. Please, by your Spirit, show us those areas and help us not just to stop there and realize that, but to ask you further, how, how, do we, how do we move in a different direction? How do we build into our lives, into our church, these expectations that you've laid out for us in these first few verses of, chapter, of Ephesians 4? We want to be a people that demonstrate the life of your son, Jesus Christ. We know that's not easy. And we can only do that by your working in us. And so we ask that that be accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen.